it's not enough to just build robust processes. Teams also have to believe in them, believe that time invested here will produce a return. They have to believe that process is a differentiator, and they have to ultimately believe that there will be an upside to focusing on process. So that's really a prerequisite for driving these needed changes. Welcome to Transformative Leadership Conversations. This special season is a team development masterclass, and my co-host is Peter Axelson, who is a 35-year team development expert whose methodology we're showcasing. This masterclass will help team leaders and members gain insights, tactics, and tools for building effective teams. And at the end of every episode, we offer an exercise that you can use with your own team. To access all these and more, download the podcast companion directly from the show notes or from my website at www.winniedasilva.com by clicking on the podcast tab. Today's episode is all about creating robust work processes, which provides focus and rigor for your team to be effective. And it's important to call out that this episode and the last two are pretty interconnected. So back in episode four, we talked about business objectives, those that are shared at the team level. And in episode five, we described how you identify the joint work of a team, which is the high value, highly interdependent work that a team must do together to achieve its business objectives. So today's episode is all about work processes, how the team does its work together. So it can be efficient in doing the high value, highly interdependent work to meet its business objectives. So you can see how they're all interconnected. So while you can certainly listen to today's episode as a standalone, listening to episode four and five will give you more of a complete package. So Peter, should we start out by providing a quick definition on what we mean by team processes? Yes, but first let me start by making a basic distinction between content and process. So content is what the team is doing. We use the term process here. We're talking about how the team is going about doing that work. Right. So what we find is that teams with a process mindset, they're explicitly and deliberately focused on building and refining lean processes for doing that work. They tend to be more effective. Teams that don't have that kind of a process are much less effective. And so what we find is that process is a very clear differentiator here. Yeah, Peter, I think that's a really important distinction. And I think most teams focus on what the team is doing because, of course, that's what they do every day, Right but they're not necessarily focused on how the team is doing their work. And thinking about it like this really brings us back to this running theme of shifting leaders and teams' mindsets to pay attention more broadly to how a team does their work together. So I know we're going to talk much more about this, so more to come. Yeah. And so when we think about team processes, there really are two sets. There are work processes, these things that are focused on accomplishing the work. So setting objectives, establishing priorities, Meetings are an example of this, decision-making, measuring progress against objectives, communication, working with stakeholders, these kinds of things. So processes related to these are all focusing on getting the work done. The second type of team processes are interpersonal processes. Mm -hmm. So these are focused on developing and maintaining really great relationships. So learning about each other, agreeing on having an aspirational culture, agreeing on norms, asking each other for feedback, offering feedback, dealing with conflict. So these are things that are focusing on developing and maintaining good relationships. We're going to talk about some of these in other episodes in this series. So here today in this episode, we're going to focus just on processes related to getting the work done. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the business case for paying attention to process. 
So we often see teams and leaders who are smart, experienced with tons of talent potential, just like many of you listening today, who end up with results that are less than the sum of its parts. So in other words, one plus one plus one plus one ends up equaling three, not five or even 10, which it should be. The potential of the team is never achieved because they have not invested enough in how they work together. This is what we call process loss. One of the challenges in helping teams build and manage solid work processes is related to what is valued and rewarded in the team, usually implicitly, not explicitly. Content expertise and domain expertise, even technical skills, they're always valued and rewarded. However, the same really can't be said for process skills like project management, facilitation, decision-making, running effective meetings. So it's important to note here that when we're working with a team on this building block, it varies a lot depending Mm -hmm. on what the team needs. So when we first get involved doing an assessment, that's designed to understand the process strengths and process weaknesses of that team, among other things. And so in some teams, the processes are pretty well developed, right? They, They just need some tweaking and we can help them do that in some brand new teams and some existing teams for really starting with a blank page. They don't have much to work with at all. And there are many areas that need work. So today we're going to talk about a few of the areas in which teams have gaps. We're going to talk about four. There are many more, but these four float to the top again and again and again in terms of things that teams need help with. So one is I'm setting priorities. Second is running effective meetings. Third is making decisions. Fourth is managing interfaces with stakeholders. There are lots more areas that we get involved with, but these are the four that tend to be high priority for teams. So let's start with setting priorities. Most of the teams we meet have more work than they can really get done. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Because everything is in the quote unquote most important bucket. And the implications of this can be significant. Lower quality outcomes and certainly high stress on people and processes. And it's really important that teams develop a process for regularly updating the whole of what they need to deliver, and then ruthlessly prioritizing those things. This often means delaying some things and even possibly deciding, uh uh-oh, not to do things, (laughs) right? And this is something that leaders really need to manage closely. Too many leaders continue to pile on the work without simultaneously doing enough to support their people who, of course, are executing the work. So it's critical for team members to understand what's really important and what's less important and what's urgent and then what can wait. Just one thought on this. You know, sometimes it's actually not the leaders that are piling on the work. Yeah. Right. Um, But it's actually members of the team are actually taking on too much. Yeah. So I think the prioritization, there's still a need there. But sometimes the members of the team are their own worst enemies in terms of trying to take on too much. And that's really where the explicit implicit comes in, (laughs) right, is for leaders to make sure that that's explicit, what it is that they're expecting, that kind of thing is minimized. But yeah, I think that's a really good point. The other thing I wanted to mention here, too, is that I really believe that most people want to do good work. For those people who have worked with me before, I say that a lot. However, if people are very unclear about priorities, they can easily become frustrated and burned out because without clear priorities, Unnecessary stress can easily overwhelm anybody on your team. So, Peter, why don't you take the next one, effective meetings? This is a big area where many leaders and their teams struggle, and I know you've got really some interesting experience in this area. So how long do we have for this one? A couple of days. I know, right? (laughs) We could spend hours on this topic. So ineffective meetings are an epidemic in organizations. The amount of resources that are wasted is really just absurd. So 
we find lots of teams are looking for help on this. And the results of investing here can be pretty remarkable. And when I think about the work that I've done with teams literally over the decades, this is one where I, I go back and literally see clients 20 years later, and they're still benefiting from the work that we've done here. So I think it's some uh, big opportunities. Yeah. Clearly, it takes some ongoing work, but really think the ROI is there. This is what we think good looks like in terms of a meeting process. So there are lots mm -hmm. of things, but this is our short list. So agendas are really, really important, and they're oftentimes not given enough attention. So I think topics on the agenda should be relevant for everyone attending. These should be joint topics, not mm -hmm. subgroup topics. So those of you that listen to the joint work episode, mm -hmm. um, that, that'll make sense. We think that agendas should be planned and distributed in advance. That way, everyone in the meeting is operating from the same roadmap and can help. Lots of agendas just have a list of topics, but we think that each topic should also be paired with a very clear desired outcome for that topic. So we have a very clear sense of on this topic, that's what we need to get done. Mm -hmm. Realistic time allocations are key. Oftentimes they're not really well thought out. Facilitation is really, really important. And there are two parts to this. We think having what we call a primary facilitator identified for managing the overall meeting process, kind of like the conductor can really help. So this is purely a process management role. And then the second part is that everyone else in the meeting is helping out as secondary facilitators. Mm -hmm. That's it, the idea that we're all sharing in the responsibility for making sure that we've got a good meeting. And so everybody that's in the meeting is wearing two hats, a content hat, right, to contribute mm -hmm. to the content, and also a process hat to make sure the meeting's going well. So that's what we think from a meeting standpoint, that's what we think good looks like. Peter, people who are listening right now, they might be thinking, wow, what you've just described here is pretty different from what my team is doing. And they might also be thinking, that sounds like a lot of work. Who's doing this work? Who's going to do it? And I mean, is it really worth it? But if you calculate the cost of even just one meeting with your team, so wages, benefits, everyone spending time sitting there, I mean, it really is not insignificant. And what's the cost of wasting half of that time due to meetings that are focused on the wrong topics or poorly planned and poorly facilitated? And in addition, what's the cost of people not wanting to be at those meetings and avoiding them? So the ROI, I think, for planning meetings is absolutely there. Peter, you have a really good story about working with the team on their meetings. Could you give us a taste of how that client was struggling with their meetings and how you helped them? Yeah. So when we're talking about good meetings here, we've talked about making sure that the right topics are on the agenda, making sure we've got really robust, well-thought-out agendas, and then good facilitation. So this story is really about the facilitation piece of this. I was working with this client a number of years ago, and they wanted some help on improving their meetings, which had been horrible. They'd been getting horrible reviews for the team for quite some time. So we spent some time talking about this distinction between content and process. We talked about what good meeting facilitation looks like, helping the group stay on agenda, keeping track of time, putting items in the parking lot, help managing conversations, helping people hear each other, summarizing discussions, these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then we agreed to use their next team meeting to do some experimenting. To, you know, we talked about, well, this is what it looks like. Let's go try it. So the team leader was facilitating the meeting. And this facilitator, that's intended to be a process role, the meeting was not going well. So after about 20 minutes, I called the timeout. I mean, I asked him this question. What percentage of your attention is going to content? And what percentage of your attention is going to the meeting process? And so without hesitation, he said, 95% process. And it was hysterical. Everyone in the team burst out laughing because his attention to process was just about zero. And that's one of the reasons things were going sideways here. Thankfully, the relationships in the team were such that 
you know, the leader took his feedback in good stride. When everybody started laughing, he got kind of a sheepish look on his face and he knew he hadn't fooled anybody. So the leader here also happened to be the content expert on this topic, mm-hmm. which is kind of a trap, right? And so he had not been attending the meeting process at all. The point is this, and I think this is one of the key things here, process skills like facilitation, these kinds of things, it's just not valued or rewarding in enough teams. And so for leaders or members who for their whole careers have been rewarded for content expertise, mm-hmm. developing these process muscles is hard, right? Because yeah. you know, when you're thinking about your role in a meeting, you can be contributing on content and or you could be contributing on process to try to help out. And if what gets rewarded and valued in that organization is content, then that's mm-hmm. going to push your contribution in that direction. So this is one of the hurdles that needs to get overcome here. It's not enough to just build robust processes. Teams also have to believe in them, to believe that time invested here will produce a return. They have to believe that process is a differentiator, and they have to ultimately believe that there will be an upside to focusing on process. So that's really a prerequisite for driving these needed changes. Yeah, I think this story really clearly illustrates or illustrated our points earlier about truly recognizing the value of process and not just content. Okay, so, so far we've talked about setting priorities in meetings. So let's tackle the third process teams struggle with the most, decision-making. It's very common to see lots of teams making decisions without clarity or an agreement or on how they are really making them. So now we're back to how, right? Of all the things that teams must do together, making decisions is one of the more challenging tasks. And it's particularly challenging in organizations that have a matrix structure where governance overall is often opaque or murky. The truth in many cases is that some team members get a vote that is quote-unquote heavier than others. But honestly, talking about this reality is sometimes uncomfortable. When decision processes are unclear, of course, that's going to lead to frustration, friction in relationships, and wasted time. So to address this and other challenges with decision-making, there are two things that teams can benefit from doing. One is to provide a common language for different decision-making options. I've got five. They might even sound familiar. One is authoritative. So authoritative means that a decision is made by one person without input from anyone else. Consultative, which is a decision made by one person after considering input from others. Majority, which is a decision where a vote is taken and over 50% wins. Then there's consensus A and consensus B. Consensus A is where we work it and we work it and we work it until everyone is aligned. Consensus B is we work it and we work it with consensus being the target, but if alignment can't be achieved, we shift to consultative. So five options, authoritative, consultative, majority, consensus A, and consensus B. Also, when a decision is going to be made, Clarify which option is being used at that moment so everyone is clear, making that option explicit. At first, this might feel clunky, but it doesn't take long for this approach to become second nature. Teams often realize that they really end up using two or three of the options anyway. One practical way to use this approach is to note the decision mode you're going to use on meeting agendas. So the agenda will state the topic, the decision that needs to be made, and the decision type that will be used. And in fact, in my experience, meetings and decision-making are closely tied to one another. And it's much easier for a team to have a good decision-making process if 
they have a good process around their meetings. Okay, so Peter, you have another great story when you helped a team clean up their processes around decision-making. Could you also share this one? It's a good one. Oh, yeah, sure. So just started working with a team in a manufacturing plant in Michigan. New plant manager named John had been there just for a couple of months. So in this particular company, they rotate plant managers about every three years. And so that management teams in these plants were always having to adapt to having a new boss who does things different ways. So it was my first trip to the plant, and I was attending one of their weekly meetings just to sit in on and to see how things work. So they had a decision to make. I think it was about a capital project. The plant manager, John, he asked a bunch of questions. Team had a pretty robust discussion. Lots of diverging opinions were shared. It was a good debate. I think people were pretty happy with that. And then John said, okay, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and so there was a little bit of a revolt that happened. So teams essentially said, wait a minute, this is a team decision, not yours. And so I called a timeout and suggested we talk about this. And so, you know, John's view was, I'm the boss. I make the decisions with your input. That's how I'd like to do things. And the team said, well, um, with all due respect, that's not what we're used to. We think that decisions like this should be made by consensus. They had some good discussion and they agreed on a new process. And that what they decided to do was before making a decision, they would first decide on which option they were going to use. Mm -hmm. And it turns out they really thought they were only going to use two which was um, consultative, that's John, or maybe one of the other department heads would make the decision based on input from the rest of the people. They called that A, and mm -hmm. B was team decision using consensus A. And so on their meeting agendas, if they had to make a decision, it would say A or B. It mm -hmm. was great. And so very transparent, very efficient, very clear, worked really nice for them, saved a bunch of time. Yeah, that's a really good story about how decision-making being explicit about the decision-making mode is super useful. Okay, so we've covered three of the four work processes teams struggle with the most, setting priorities, effective meetings, and decision-making. This fourth one is about proactively defining processes to work with your key stakeholders, something that often does not get enough attention. So let me start with what good looks like. What good looks like here is sitting down with each stakeholder, talking about the work that you need to do together, and talking really honestly about what you expect from each other. And then talking up front about what might be challenging and being honest about that, these kinds of things. Then based on that, agreeing on a set of lean processes that the two of you can agree to, to make your interactions effective. So let me give you a quick example. I was working with a newly formed team at a pharmaceutical company. They restructured the commercial and government businesses from a business unit model to a customer portfolio driven model which means they were on the front lines of engaging governments around the world to understand, develop, sell, and distribute medicines that they needed. In order for this team to be successful, they were heavily reliant on other teams of the company, like product and business development. Instead of waiting to react to challenges or based on assumptions on how things should work on either side, they decided that they were going to sit down together and they explicitly work through how they were going to collaborate. Their stakeholders were very responsive to this approach, and they really appreciated how proactive and practical these conversations were and how this contributed to meeting their team objectives. This was especially relevant because they were a fully remote and geographically dispersed team, which always makes collaboration more complicated. That's a great example. And again, I think there's a theme here, if you've been listening to these episodes, about making things explicit, and that's really what that's about. That's right not doing things based on past practices or assumptions. In building good processes, you rarely get it right the first time. It really does take some experimentation. So what you need to do is figure out what's needed, 
put some things in place that you think will meet that need and then try them out for a while and see what kind of results you get. And then based on that, do some tweaking. But experimentation is a really important piece here. Along the way, we want to be mindful of keeping these processes as lean as possible. You've heard us use that word a couple of times already. What we want here is what's needed to get the work done and no more. And this is really important. We want to be sure we're not adding administrative work that's not going to pay for itself. So the other thing to think about here is this continuum between tight and loose. What I mean by that is this. Some teams like are really, really tight processes. Everything is written down. Everything's clear. These are the teams that love to have the decision mode noted on team agendas, you know, <laughs> this kind of a thing. At the other end of the continuum are teams that really, really don't like things to be that way. So they prefer more improvisation. They prefer a little bit more flexibility. Mm-hmm. They know that they can make things up when they need to. So it's not that they don't have processes, but they might not be as clearly defined or rigorous. So one of the things to figure out anytime you're working with the team is on that continuum between tight and loose, where's the right place for our team? You want to make sure that you pick that sweet spot. That's absolutely right. So now it's time for the exercise you can try out with your own team. And for this exercise, we've decided to pick decision-making. So here's the objective. The objective of this exercise is to make the process by which your team makes decisions more explicit and transparent. Here's the outline. First, talk with the team about what you want to do and why. That's always a good place to start. Then, share views on the current state of the decision-making process within your team. And make sure you're here from each person. So this is how you'd approach it. You're going to ask people on the team, on a scale of one to five, how effective do you feel our current decision-making processes? And what's behind your rating? Give everyone a chance to talk. Get those out there. After that, then review the definitions of the five decision-making options, which we talked about earlier. Just as a reminder, they're authoritative, consultative, majority, consensus A, and consensus B. It's worth noting here that we'll provide you with that list when we give you the materials for this exercise. Then what you're going to do is discuss those decision-making modes. Which of these are we using right now? Which are we not using right now? And where in our work together could we benefit from being more explicit about which option we are using? Then get some practice with all of this and try this out for a few weeks or months with your team. Anytime your team needs to make a decision, first agree on which method you're going to use. And it's sometimes useful for everyone to have a list of those decision-making options as a reference nearby. So after a few weeks or months, pause and reflect. Assess the results of this experiment and then decide together how you want to tweak your team's decision-making processes going forward. So a couple of tips and notes on this. This work on cleaning up your team's decision-making processes inevitably bumps into issues of power, authority, turf, and relative weight of the votes of different people. Don't be surprised. Be prepared to open those up and figure them out together. Work through this as a team. As in the case when learning anything new, this works takes some time at the start. You may find yourself debating which methods the team should be using to decide which methods the team will use to decide. Sarah, so going there? <laughs> yeah, that can be kind of a convoluted loop, and that's actually really common. And you just have to sort it out for a while, but you'll figure that out. You'll get it, right? That's why we're giving you these warnings <laughs> Yeah, as a heads up. The other thing you want to pay attention to is you may find that the team really doesn't use some of these methods which is nice because it simplifies things, right? 
And teams usually take very little time to become facile with these options. So it really is very intuitive. We're just giving you the language to use with it. Hopefully this will be helpful. The last thing that I would add to this, just to highlight something Winnie's talked about already, it's relatively easy to clarify how a team could make decisions. The harder mm-hmm. part of this is really getting through the organizational, the governance, the power issues, the hierarchy, the egos, and just working through all of those things to get yeah. to a place where people are comfortable with how decisions are being made. There's an easy part with the options and the choices. The harder part is working through the background on all of these things. That's right. So give this a try and see what you learn. Remember, to access all of these exercises and more, download the podcast companion directly from the show notes or from my website at www.winniedasilva.com by clicking on the podcast tab. Peter and I would love to hear about your experience and what resonated with you during today's episode. You can do that by emailing me at winnie at winifred.org, going to my website, or reaching out to me on LinkedIn. So next up, episode seven, where Peter and I explore the idea of teams establishing a shared responsibility mindset. The key question we unpack is this, how will the responsibility for the effectiveness of this team be shared? So you think about your place in the team, you think about your contributions, you take in the feedback that you've collected from other people, and then you think about what are the things that I could be doing to be a more effective member of this team, to help the team be effective. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations. If you're ready to take your leadership to the next level or empower your teams for success, I'm here to help. Reach out to me directly or check out my website to learn more about my work in coaching executives, developing critical leadership skills, and working with clients to build effective teams. Also, your feedback matters. Please consider leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and sharing this episode with a friend who might benefit. Thank you for listening.